Hello and welcome back to the Future Work Life podcast. And in this series, we've been discussing the importance of getting started and particularly why now is a great time to take action and start something new. And today's guest knows a thing or two about that. JK Molina built and sold a $1.4 million a year company with a free Twitter account. After deciding he wanted to trade in his job as a virtual assistant based in Guatemala, his home country, he became a creator on Twitter. And as we discuss, it didn't happen immediately for him, but over time, after tweaking and experimentation and identifying the right niche for him, he built his following up to what now stands at just under 190,000 followers. Most importantly though, and this is the insight which feeds into his new business, he recognised that the number of followers wasn't the be-all and end-all. In fact, it was all about how you monetize them. And that's what he's doing with his new company, Tweets and Clients, which promises to take your Twitter to $30,000 a month. So before we start, as ever, if you're interested in identifying your niche and also understanding why it's important to take a long-term approach to building your career, then check out my book, Work Life Flywheel, and register for my newsletter, Future Work Life, on Substack and LinkedIn. So let's jump into my conversation with JK. Let's start from the beginning. I'm really intrigued. For the reason you started making content, why did you start creating content in the first place? I just kind of wanted to make money. Like if I'm being honest with you, because I was working as a VA at the time and I, it was 2020 kind of lockdown. I was in college too, but I didn't, I was kind of drifting, didn't really know what to do, but I was making around $250 a month at the time. And then I go on Twitter, these dudes pulling in 50K months, 100K months, Mm. 250K months. And like in the beginning, it didn't seem like conceivable. I just, I just thought like, there's no way, but apparently there was a way. And the way they did it was they started selling info products. I think that's kind of how a lot of people get into this world. You saw these people selling info products and you want to sell it. And I didn't really have the volume because I had this small account, but then I saw other people getting like huge increases in income with client work. And that's what I got like really in love with client work because like where I'm from, you make 1K USD a month. It's like, all right, you can live fairly well. You make 2K, it's like you're rocking. You make 3K, you're a fucking rock star, right? And I'm thinking like, there's no way you can pay, you can get a client to pay you 2K and just like blow up like that in terms of income. Like how is one guy saying yes to you going to make your quality of life 2X better? Like I just, it, it just didn't register, but apparently it was true. And I started just sending DMs, getting clients. And those were kind of my two loves in the beginning. The first one was Twitter because I could see people growing. And the second one was client work because I could see a direct multiple in my quality of life. If I applied that same multiple in my work, which is just mm. doing outreach and getting clients. So those two were my, uh, the lady in the red dress that got me into it. <laughs> and let's let's be right super practical for a minute. So if somebody's thinking, oh, I like the sound of that. Maybe I could have a piece of that. I mean, where do you start? Because you've got to have the motivation to take action, clearly. But did you do it initially with a really clear plan? As in, I can spot that people are approaching this in a certain way and I'm going to execute a strategy? Or did you feel your way into it and kind of, you know, get familiar with the surroundings, follow some other people that you thought were doing interesting stuff and and go from there? More like the second one. 
<clears throat> like just if I'm real, my first niche was just dating. That was my first niche, and uh, it has nothing to do with what I do today. And then I started selling graphic design logos on Fiverr. Uh, I would DM people and say, "Hey, man, do you want a logo with your face?" They would agree to it, and I'm like, "Okay, it's 15 bucks." And they PayPal me 15 bucks. And by the way, the fee was like a dollar, so it was more like 14. And then I would go to Fiverr and pay $7 for a logo and then send it back to them. So it was like a $7 profit. And mm. to me, it wasn't so much about just making the money there. It was just proving that there was money there in the first place. Uh, because it's, it's scary, right? Like if you're getting into this world, maybe you have a job and you want to quit or you're not making much money and you want to make more, it's scary and you don't want to just go dive head first. Uh, you just kind of want some proof and some stability. Like, yeah, this is the right path. Just go. To me, that was kind of more like it. I knew I wasn't going to make a living selling logos. You know what I mean? Uh, but that's how it started. And then I kind of, I just think that it was one of these things that somebody says in the past that really impacts you. Like, I don't know if you've had that. Somebody says like a phrase that's like normal to them, but to you, it's like, oh my God, that was like the deepest thing I've ever <laughs> And uh, that was one of that. I saw it in a Gary Vee video, which was, you're not in the money stacking phase, you're in the skill stacking phase. And mm. I don't know, like to me, that just hit so hard because I thought if I keep learning all these skills, eventually I'm going to get good at it, right? So when it came to the dating thing, you learn called approaching, you learn frame control, you learn uh, rejection. When it comes to the logo thing, you learn design, you learn arbitrage, you learn cool DMing. And I kind of look at it as this tree, right? So this tree, everybody looks at what's above the tree. Nobody looks at what's below the tree because the tallest trees also have the deepest roots. And people forget that. So I would say start anywhere because your goal is not growing the tree. Your goal is going into establishing deeper roots. So you learn one thing in this place, in that place. So no experience is ever wasted. Uh, you rarely hear like heavy, heavy hitters telling you like, oh yeah, that was just such a waste of time because it's, it's not. You're, you're, you're acquiring skills. And that is what people don't want to do. They want to be the 10K a month, like one month in or two months in. And it just doesn't work that way. I sold perfume door to door in 2017. That was like my first business, right? And uh, it was only until like 2022 when people started like paying attention to me, uh, like in a significant way. But if you want to get tactical and in the weeds of it, I'd say you want to start and really grow a business. Uh, you will encounter the main problem as in every business that you start tomorrow, you'll find a business that looks sexier, right? So today's short form, right? Everybody wants to do short form, but tomorrow you'll want to do crypto and tomorrow you'll want to do ghost writing. And it kind of just spirals down into you doing nothing. So <laughs> I'd say the first thing you want to do is just choose one. It just, it just yeah. go and uh, understand that. I feel like, I don't know if it'll be as deep for you as it was for me, but to me, it was so good. Uh, when, when, you understand that you're not in this in the money stacking phase, you're in the skill stacking phase, you automatically get more detached from the outcome. You automatically are more patient. And you're sort of acquiring these skills 
And it's kind of just correlation. We subconsciously know that acquiring more skills will eventually lead to acquiring more money. But the missing link we have there is patience. Nobody wants to wait for it. Like nobody wants to do the thing. And we don't understand that the only thing that guarantees that you get there is you actually sticking to the thing, but nobody wants to do that. So uh, that's kind of where people fail. Right now, what you need, I feel like if you just want to start your business, it's not so much a skill problem. Yes, you like skills, but it's also a trait problem. You also like patience. So I would say work on your patience at the same time that you work on your skill. Eventually, you're going to win. You decide if you're going to win, but you don't decide when you're going to win. And if you understand that and you like embrace the suck, I think you're going to be in a good position to make good money two, three, four years from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things on that. Mark Andreessen, um, he wrote about this idea of building a portfolio within your career. So think about it as a portfolio of different experiences. And at different stages of your career, you're looking to optimize your portfolio for different outcomes. So early in your career, when you've got low outgoings, you've got low responsibility, that is the time to make decisions based on acquiring the skills we talked about. It's a perfect time, right? You know, whereas when you're a bit further along, you know, maybe like me, you've got three kids and a wife you need to start making some of those decisions slightly differently. But by the time you get to that point, you will have built up loads of experience, particularly if you put yourself out there and just try loads of new things. It's the sort of same point put in a different way. And it's a really good attitude to just think, look, go out there, try things out. Because also you'll try a bunch of things out and some you'll just absolutely click. You're like, wow, okay, that feels really natural to me. I really enjoy doing that. And some of the stuff will be a bit tougher. But as you say, none of it's wasted as long as it takes you in the right direction. And uh, I would add to that. I thought you made a, a few good points. And if you have a wife and kids, you have to approach this differently because, I mean, yeah, you have a job and you're like, hey, guys, I'm going to quit. I'm going to become a digital solopreneur. Like, <laughs> dude, how about, how about you get a job? right? <laughs> How about you, you go buy groceries? Uh, it it kind of goes back to, should you quit? Should you not? Should you drop it? Should you not? It's how much do you have to lose? And what is your personal risk tolerance? Mm. And like, to me, I got lucky in a sense. That, like, yeah, I was making $250 a month, but I only had $250 a month to lose, you know? So like, how much is there to lose, really? Like, do you, are you really risking it? To me, it wasn't really a risky choice, right? Because mm. now, where I live, you make 1K a month, you're rocking. Like, you're doing fine. So it, was, it wasn't exactly high-risk situation. So yeah. I, could, I could do it. So if you have a wife and, and kids, then, like, I don't have a wife or kids, but I would imagine, like, you have to take it slower, you know, because you have way more to lose. If you have a big job you don't have any other skills, you also have to take it slower because, I mean, yeah. if not, you're fucked, right? And we fall into this trap that we go into the internet and we see the Lambos, the boats, the screenshots, the dashboards, and we want to be like them. But, I mean, you're not in the beat them game. You're in the beat your previous month's income game. So yeah. which game are you playing, right? So decide. Yeah. And also, look, I think, as you say, it's easy to stack yourself up against other people and judge things against 
like money, right? You know, it's easy to think about that. But but what I found, and I exited my first company three years ago, and I'd been doing that for 10 years. I just needed a change. Um, and I actually only realized after that it wasn't really the thing I wanted to do anyway. And the things that matter to me are things like having autonomy to choose to do what I want to do when I want to do it, the ability to be creative all the time. And I wasn't getting to do that in my last job. The ability to feel like I'm just constantly progressing. You know, when you're sometimes you're grinding out and when you're running a company, it's not all glory out there. And I suppose these are the things when ultimately you take a step back, you realize matter more. The point I'm making is if you can optimize your life around feeling like you're achieving those things actually very often the other bits fall into place you start doing the type of work that you enjoy when you're doing work you enjoy you tend to stick at it more and you want to work harder and you get better at it and it's this flywheel effect around your work and your life which comes into play so um you know exactly you're right patience is the key thing i would add one thing to like how we are having this conversation it's a the time frames I think are interesting in this conversation you and I are having. Mm-hmm. I was talking about two, three, four years. You're saying ten years. Right? The time frame in which you measure things are tend to be longer than other conversations. You know, people hit in people think in like 10k months, 20k months. We're talking about selling companies in 10 years, getting good in two, three, four years. So like it, it's the small details that sometimes people don't pay attention to, which now I'm paying more attention to. The time frame in which yeah. people with money talk is usually way longer. Uh, so there are people out there thinking in decades, in 25 years, in 50 yeah. years. And uh, this is why they you see like they're so calm. I love this phrase. I don't know who told it to me. And he said, have you ever seen a billionaire in a rush? Well, have you ever seen a billionaire, right? But <laughs> have you ever seen a decamillionaire in a, in a rush? Like, Sometimes, but no, it, it's not as often as people who are like making no money, right? So it's yeah. the time frame which you measure things matters a lot. As in, do you consider yourself a success or a failure? Because, and this is another realization I came to, success is failure measured in decades and failure is success measured in days. You're not failing, mm-hmm. you're not succeeding. You're just not using the right time frame. With all that in mind, can anyone really monetize their knowledge online or does it take a certain kind of personality or a certain kind of expertise to do it i'd say it takes a certain kind of pain to do it you know like you're gonna it's gonna hurt at some point uh i see this thing over and over it's always after somebody just they suffer that they do something like for example I'll, i'll tell you the story of my friend from from guatemala here so this dude, I've been showing him about Twitter for like a year and a half. And he's a very close friend, like ever since we were like seven. And we talk a lot. And he just didn't do anything on Twitter. Like we started at around the same time. And he has like a thousand followers, right? I have 180K, right? But I actually did it. But the thing is, he wanted to get clients. He wasn't acquiring them. And I, t- I was telling him everything about it. He just didn't do it. In one month, he got his car crashed by a bus and the bus didn't pay him anything. Same month, somebody stole his laptop and his iPad from his car and he lost both. Like, it was horrible. He was in so much pain. He just called me and he was like, dude, okay, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. And I told him the same thing I've been telling him for a year and a half. 
But this time he did it. And he goes back home. He starts getting clients. He starts doing outreach. Hits $6,000 in the first month because he actually did it. Right? Mm -hmm. So can anybody do it? Well, anybody can do it given that you already have the strong enough like pain and motivation to do it. Because being real, the thing that moves me, uh, moved me for the first three years doing this was just pain and insecurity. I just didn't want to be not good at what I did. Now it's changed a little bit. Now it's more towards pleasure. I want to reach a certain level. But in the beginning, it was just mainly pain. So can anybody do it? Well, yes, given that you have enough why, you know. Mm. And, and over that time, so look, your focus has changed. You mentioned followers there. But I know that that isn't the be all and end all, is it? The number of followers isn't even how you judge success now. You know, you, I mean, look, it tells you something. It tells you maybe that certain content's resonating, that you found the right market, the right niche. But it's ultimately not how you are going to measure your success, nor is it how the people who come to you now and work with you now want to want to measure success either, is it? Oli is trying to say likes in cash, which I wholeheartedly endorse and agree with. <laughs> Correct, Oli. That's right. Likes in cash. And followers ain't income. Engagement ain't relevance. Uh, let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Like It happens more often than you think. People look at the big account and they assume they're making money and they're crushing it. And that's just not the case. Another one of my friends uh, from here. I'm just telling stories for my friends because I love them. But this dude, he got on a call. He was selling a $1,000 service, $1,000. On the service business, especially in our like niche, if you will, it's not that much uh, compared to the other deals. But anyway, he was pitching a $1,000 service to this 80,000 follower account centered around create wealth, build wealth, and financial advice. And he, on the call, he pitches the guy. Well, it's a thousand dollars. He's like, dude, I just can't afford it right now. I, dude, you you are an eighty thousand follower account. Talk about financial advice and wealth creation. How can you not pay a thousand dollars for a service that will make you more money? Now, like, and maybe the sales call wasn't that good and whatever, but like, it wasn't. It wasn't that the objection. The objection was, I'm just not liquid. I'm like, dude, how? Like, how are you not liquid? And it happens so often. Like to me, when I reached 70,000 followers, I met another guy with 900 followers that was making the same money I was making. And that was just embarrassing. Like to me, it was just like, what are you even doing? And it happens so often. Dudes at 50, 80, 100,000 followers making no money. And it's funny because they, they just deny it. <laughs> it's funny because they they make no money and they kind of like hit the escapism when they find out that their bank account isn't growing. And then they go back to tweeting or posting because the likes dopamine serve as a painkiller, not as a cure. Uh, mm. And what these guys need is not a painkiller. They need to just make some fucking money already. But they don't understand that. So this is why I'm so big now in likes and cash. It's harder to grow a big account and then monetize it than it is to just monetize day one. Like you can just make money day one. And that's a secret people not talking about enough. But if you build the account the right way, you can just make money day one. But 
somehow everybody is so caught up in the likes and engagement porn that they never end up making money. And by the time they realize it, it's usually too late. So go on then. I mean, without giving away your secrets, what is the right way to approach it? I can talk about it. I can talk about my secrets, bro. Don't worry about it. Uh, give away the secrets, sell the implementation. I have a phrase. Uh, that's from Alex Ramosi. I remix it to, if you give the sauce away for free, if you give the sauce away for free, people will pay you to cook it for them. So mm. you can talk about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty proud of that one. It, it took a while. <laughs> yeah. But let's, let's talk monetization. So there's like two ways. Yeah. One is you can build the account first and then monetize second and launch an offer second. So what that does is it kind of gives you two audiences, the people who are interested in you, the people who can pay you. And then there's others who are entertained by you. And these guys usually don't have a credit card. So that's an issue, right? Because then you have like two audiences and like if you monetize, you'll piss them off, but they were not going to buy anyway. So it doesn't really matter. So I propose a different method. Instead of launching an offer first and, and instead of growing an audience first and launching an offer second, I recommend building an offer first, something that you sell and build an audience around that offer. And the way that looks in a practical level is instead of posting threads about other people's achievements, which may be humongous like Steve Jobs, you make more money talking about your okay achievements than somebody else's outstanding achievements. And it sounds mm-hmm. counterintuitive, but it's true. You talk about, instead of other people's achievements, your own. Instead of other people's case studies, you talk about your case studies. Instead of other people's experiences, you talk about your experiences. Instead of other people's clients, you talk about your clients and your case studies. And maybe you don't have a client, right? That's fine. Talk about what you have done your own experiences and talk about instead of saying what works, you talk about what has worked for me. You change your language from everybody look at me to, hey, this is what I've done. Take it if it's useful. So once you shift your kind of your mindset from how to create content to how to prove your competence online, that is the right way because People who are interested in quick tactics and who are interested in things that you don't offer are never going to follow you, which is great because then you will only attract people who actually care, which means your engagement will be better. Your sales will be higher, you know, in terms of percentages. And you're just going to attract better people, people who you can actually help. But then Mm -hmm. people tell me, JK, but what if I haven't done anything? What if I haven't done shit? And to me, that's, that's a symptom that you're comparing yourself to people who are way above you. Because at any point in the journey, there will be people ahead of you and behind you. Your job is not to teach the people ahead of you because you can't teach them. They are ahead of you. Your job is to take the knowledge from the people ahead of you, combine it with your own unique experiences and passing it on to the people behind you. Because like, I mean, are you making some amount of money? Yes. Is somebody making less money? Certainly. So then they can learn from you, 
right? Your market is just not the market you were thinking, which is ahead of you. Your market is actually behind you. You talk to them. And then once you see it that way, everybody's a thought leader because everybody has authority in something. The problem is when you try to claim authority in something that's way above you, it's when you see the 18-year-old life coach. It's when you see the millionaire, the guy giving millionaire stock advice, but he's broke, like the guy my, my friend pitched, right? It's the ghostwriter that wants to yeah. grow your account for 10,000 followers, but he has seven followers. So talk about what you have done. And you may think, well, there's not that many people that are interested in it. That may be true, but you can find them, right? And eventually you'll get better. And eventually you'll earn the right to talk about more advanced things, but you're just not there yet. And that discourages them. But then the alternative is not starting a business, which is kind of shitty. I mean, just do it anyway. Eventually you learn that you'll be good at it and you can talk about other things, but most people are just not at that level yet. And it's that patience and that humility that prevents a lot of people from just making money online. Is this right for some types of digital products more than others? And actually, maybe not necessarily just making a comparison between digital products and, I don't know, physical products. But what are we talking about here when you're talking about monetization? Are you talking about courses? Are you talking about people selling their services, consultancy? What's this right for and what's it not? I would say it could work for any for anything, but I would rather talk about, again, taking my own advice. Uh, I'll tell you the things I have seen this work consistently, which is service businesses. It's coaching, consulting, agency, freelancing. Those things work best. <clears throat> and I'm speaking to those because uh, it allows you to make up for your lack of followers. Likes in cash, but somebody with 100,000 followers is in a better position to make money than somebody with two followers. You know what I mean? Mm. However, I have like this personal rule of thumb, which is the lower your follower count, the higher should your prices be. And inherently, you can't charge like $5,000 for a PDF, right? Well, you can, but your brand is going to be at a whole new level. I recommend instead doing services because then you will get two, three, four yeses, and you only need four yeses to drastically change your income. Like, think about mm. it. If you're selling a $50 product and you get four yeses, I mean, it's like $200, right? So it's not going to change your life dramatically. I mean, it would have changed mine back then, but now it's not going to change your life dramatically. However, if you sell a service and you get four yeses, you're talking about, let's say, a $2,000 service, you're talking about an $8,000 income. It's close to six figures. So mm -hmm. Then it changes, like the game changes a lot. And it's suddenly in your mind, much more manageable because you make the money in your mind first and then you see it on the bank account. That's how it works. But if you say, hey, can I convince 100 people every month to pay me on a $50 subscription? If you have 1,000 followers, that's tough. Like it's really tough, like very hard for you to pull it off. But if you suddenly see it as, I only need four people to say yes to something. Can I get four people to say yes to something if I'm pitching 50 people every day? Yeah, as long as you don't stop. Suddenly it's more manageable. And that's when you see the big results. It's not so much a skill change. It's a, like a mindset belief change.
but yeah, it works for mm-hmm. service businesses mostly. So this question might be difficult to answer because obviously there are a million different use cases and variables, but what characterizes an offer that people feel stupid saying no to? Just in general terms, what certain characteristics would you identify for that? The main one is it's context. And if I could like put it in one word, it's context. The other day we had a sales, uh, our sales training at Tweets and Clients and our sales coach dropped a gem and I never listened to any other like sentence said on the call except for that one because to me that was the coolest thing somebody's ever said about sales and offers. He said, everything is expensive without context. So the question they asked him, hey, should I reveal prices in the DMs? And by the way, the answer is no, you shouldn't. But uh, he said, everything is expensive without context. And dude, I love that. Because if I ask you today, Oli, is $2,000 expensive? The question is incomplete. Because if I said it's $2,000 for a service that'll make you $1,000, then <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah, it's expensive, right? But if I said, Oli, it's $2,000 for a service that'll make you 20. Oh, well, now then it's kind of cheap, right? The answer is not in the price. The answer is in the context. So when you want to make an offer that makes people feel stupid saying no, the key is not so much changing the offer. It's changed to what you're comparing the offer to changing the context of the offer. What is everything that you're going to give them that'll make the price look small? Like everything's about perspective, right? Like you got to make it look small. So if you start giving them things and you start removing things, as in you're not going to have to do this thing you hate, you're going to save time on this thing that takes you hours and you start removing things they hate and adding things they love. Eventually the context is so big that the price looks small and that's when you get the sale. But the problem is people don't want to give good enough context or they just don't have this skill to make context uh, big enough. For example, we had this client of ours, Mike, and he was selling, uh, setting up passive income streams. Now, passive income is a tough niche because it usually attracts people who don't have much money, just being real. But it was tough, it was a tough sell. And we changed the context of how he was selling his offer and suddenly started making more money because we started, before we talked about how much you were going to make every month, this is how much my service will make you every month. And the service was like $3,000 and they were going to make like $1,700. Then it made no fucking sense, right? It's like, dude, no, of course not. But then we changed our wording to give more context. And we were telling our prospects how much they were going to make every year and every two years and every three years and how little time commitment it takes and how little much, how small of a learning curve it is. And then when we started talking in years and not months, the context seemed so much larger and the offer was way easier to say yes to. So if I could say what's the key to making more money with your offers, it's uh, make the context better. Yeah. Okay. So I get it. Clearly the offer's got to be right. That means follow account doesn't necessarily matter but clearly get the offer right with more followers and you've got potentially the bigger audience of the right type of people so i suppose within what you're doing and working with your clients on how much time is spent on the stuff you outline there the offer the context versus 
also growing the audience because as you said it's there's got to be there's got to be a kind of a combination of the two right yeah i'd say we split our focus on three areas one is the offer second one is the audience and the third one is the lead gen it's actually getting people to buy so if i could split it in percentages it's around 60 percent lead gen 30% content, actually no, scratch that. 60% legion, 39% content, and like 1% of the time goes to the offer. And then it's like, yo, JK, what the fuck? It only takes that much. And it, yeah. One time I ran an offer mastermind, Obi. And I remember I asked everybody, what do you guys think is the main problem in your business? Why are you not making money? And everybody said, offer, 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 offer. And then I asked them, okay, how many people are you pitching every day with your offer? And the average DMs being sent from those people were 0.7 DMs per day. <laughs> and, and then I, I zoomed it in and everybody looked at it and quiet. It was so quiet. I'm like, my guy, not the best offer in the world. It can't save you if you're sending 0.7 DMs a day. Like, it's mathematically impossible. It's just not going to happen. You need at least one, right? <laughs> but uh, that's why we don't focus on it because people are getting so caught up in the offer. And I, I, I don't believe there's stupid questions. I believe there's stupid motives behind questions. For example, what are your favorite books? What, are your, what is your book recommendation? If I ask you that, it's not a stupid question because you can learn a lot from the book. But it comes from a dumb motive. Because people will ask that instead of working. People will ask you what's your favorite book instead of reading. And they will ask you what's your favorite tactic instead of executing the actual tactic. Because they expect that one thing to change them. They expect that one thing to save their business. And people expect that the offer is going to change the business. Honestly, it's not. Like I've seen incredible results with shitty offers. Like I know a guy making $100,000 a month with SEO. And his offer is, we'll position you as a brand authority using SEO. That's the offer. That's it. No guarantees, no money back, no trips to Bali if we don't make you money. Like none of that bullshit. It's just that. The offer isn't as important as people think. But people get so caught up in it because they want to just pitch two people and get a yes. Instead of crafting a good enough offer, pitching 200 people and get a few qualified leads. So that's why our offer takes a day. Crafting the offer takes us a day. It's, it's fast because we know that I could have some feedback and I could give you some of my feedback, but the thing that you really need is market feedback. You need mm -hmm. them to tell you if it's good or bad. So that's why it doesn't take long. Content yeah. is great because it allows you to, you know, show people that you're legit. And then it's 60% legion because the one advantage you have that I have that Elon Musk has and that keyboard warrior 6782XXX on Twitter has is that we all have the same button, which is the DM. We can all DM the same person. We can all DM anyone and it'll fall in the same inbox, at least on Twitter. Um, so that's why we focus more on, on, on DMs. That is our main client acquisition channel. Is DMing people. Right. Offer, 1%. Content, 39%. Uh, lead gen, 60%.
Nice. So just on that content point, I'll ask it from my point of view because I don't think I'll be unique in this position. So I'm interested how you think about building a multi-channel content strategy. So in my case, I like long-form writing. So I've written a book. I've got a weekly newsletter. I also like this format, like producing a podcast, a really good way to build knowledge, improve my network, build authority. But none of these formats necessarily have the scale of Twitter or LinkedIn. And, you know, I don't think I'm necessarily as comfortable in those formats as I am with the sort of longer form content. So is there a smart way to incorporate the insights I'm gathering from these sort of deeper engagement formats like a newsletter and a podcast and translate that into a coherent and sustainable social strategies? Yeah, good question. Uh, to me, the answer is like kind of from two angles. One is the like the monetary side and one's the spiritual side. So the spiritual side, I do believe like this is what's worked for me and this is just my thing that you should get rich first and then look into other areas second. You, look, you should have a lot of money first before you look into starting other businesses second. So for me, it's get good at one, monetize one and get rich off one. And I mean, rich for me was $5,000 a month, honestly. But for anyone, get rich, right? Make your money. And then you're going to be able to have that money and you'll not only be able to pay for people to teach you the other platforms, but you'll also be able to be more detached from them, right? Uh, you won't have like this small little bets. You'll have one that's already working and that will allow you to be wiser on the rest. So I would say dominate one and then just go into the others. But don't do that until you have a lot of money. Uh, what you consider a lot of money in the bank. That's just, that's just mm. kind of how I do it uh, because it, it was easier. I didn't start YouTube seriously until I passed like 100,000 followers on Twitter. I didn't start Instagram seriously until I had like above 150K. I didn't start LinkedIn seriously until I was above like 90 or 100k followers because yeah i mean what's the goal it's making money right so make money first and then get wealthy second that's how i see it mm. nice well uh, before we wrap up is there anything else you want to leave people with either had to follow more of your work but also just any closing thoughts yeah i'd say um guys that a lot of the recent like learnings I've had in business are the same learnings I had in year one. The same learnings I had in year five are the same learnings I had in year one. I actually wrote it over here on my on my whiteboard, kind of the fundamentals. It's been, I don't know, kind of just feeling tired lately, kind of burned out. But it's always the fundamentals that'll save you from it. So what I wrote here, it's just fundamentals. And this is just... It will sound like a platitude, right? But I have my fundamentals. Sleep nine hours, cut caffeine, exercise, eat at maintenance calories, <laughs> talk to your avatar, no phone. It's just the regular shit, right? It's things that just sound like everybody else. But if you want to reach advanced level, it's not so much you need to do advanced things. You just need to don't stop doing the fundamental things. So 
a lot of the times you'll try to try new tactics, try new strategies and do like the latest things. That's just going to fuck you up. Just stick to the fundamentals. Avoid the likes porn. Avoid people flexing on you on social media and just stick to the game and do the fundamentals. And eventually you're going to get extremely good. Because while these guys were trying 100 tactics that might work, you tried one that will work. Albeit slower, but it works. It's been over and over, done over and over again. What you're trying to do is not, it's not new. Like there's so many people that have done it already. And if you stick to the plan, you will get there. One of my favorite tweets from one of my favorite people on Twitter, Lobo, El Lobo Salvaje. He said, we pray to God and we stick to the plan. And honestly, that's a great business plan. You pray to God and you stick to the plan and you win. But uh, yeah, it takes a long while. It takes like five years, three years. It could take one year, but by then you'll have to hire someone to tell you what to do. Like the only true shortcut is finding someone that knows more than you and paying them to tell you what to do or how to think. So if you want to get more clients and you want to get more clients from Twitter, go to tweetsandclients.com. We'll take you to $30,000 a month from your Twitter. Great. Cheers, JK. Thanks for coming on the show. And that was my conversation with JK. You can read more about the themes we discussed in my newsletter, Future Work Life, on Substack and LinkedIn. And, of course, pick yourself up a copy of Work Life Flywheel. Thanks, as ever, for listening. I've got another great guest next week. We'll be talking venture capital and the future of work. So I'll see you here again then.